Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. We've got a very special guest that I would like to thank for coming on. We've got Miss Nina Prevot. Prevot? Prevot, yeah. Prevot, of course. Of yeah, course. if you want Silent to go French P. with it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But Nina is a copyright lawyer. She works with, the, well, why? I'm jumping to conclusions. Why don't you tell us about yourself, Nina? Sure. Yeah. Um, like you said, my name is Nina Prevo. I am, um, I am an intellectual property attorney. I specialize um, mostly in trademarks and copyrights. Um, and in that vein, most of that is prosecution, which is filing for um, trademarks and copyrights and getting them secured. And then um, after that, dealing with any issues like t- uh, cease and desist letters, things like that. Um, I also have done a decent amount of intellectual property litigation, not as much into the patent world, but a little. Um, And I know patent law generally. Um, But yeah, I've been a practicing attorney doing intellectual property in that vein for um, about five years, almost six. Um, Yeah. And so, and I practiced in Colorado. If you want a little bit of my background, I, um, I started my career in intellectual property, actually at DC Comics. I worked in the legal department of DC Comics, and so oh, wow. I was doing a lot of work with the Batman logo. Yeah, the Batman uh, logo and the Superman shield. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I got my foundation in that. Um, and since then, I've been um, more in private law firms and my own private practice, stuff like that. But I still focus on trademarks and copyrights. Um, in that, I've I've secured trademarks for all kinds of different entities um, for like uh based like dental companies for a civil rights group for entertainment companies for um automotive part companies you know i've i've kind of done the whole gamut in terms of who i have represented for trademarks and copyrights nice. so yeah that's my background nice. and you've started your own your own practice and i'm so happy to be here thank you so much for welcoming me oh oh sorry i talked <laughs> over you <laughs> no no it's fine um I just wanted to say thank you um, for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Um, and you asked me a question. Sorry. Oh, yes. Well, thank you for coming on. And so you have your own law practice right now. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Hmm. So um, I've, been, I've been a solo practitioner for three or four years, something like that. Um, and part of that was me taking on the entire trademark portfolio for another law firm that didn't do trademark prosecution. Um, but I still, as of right now, yeah, I'm, I'm under my own banner. I see. Very cool. So attorney, business owner, you got a lot under your belt and how we met VIA and your Twitter account follow each other, like each other's tweets. But then this all got started. Actually, it yeah. was it was several months ago, back in June, July, around there. And uh, you actually got into it with a uh, famous libertarian personality, Stefan Kinsella, about copyright issues right. and IP. Tell tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah. So um, I'd actually I created a like a an anonymous Twitter account. Um, that looked like Coco Chanel. And I had created that account mostly so that I could start talking about fashion of the current time um, and criticizing the fashion industry. Um, but I saw one of uh, Mr. Kinsella's tweets and I responded to it saying that I would happily debate him on this, um, but he never does. And the truth is, is that he does. I just hadn't seen any of them. So I, 
I can stand corrected about that. But um, I was more than willing to debate with him. I, um, we actually had set a time to do it. But when I did that, he proceeded to um, really kind of have like a breakdown in my DMs <laughs> and rant and rant and rave at me about how basically he argued with me, even though I hadn't made any points. He told me I was a fake libertarian, even though he hadn't heard my arguments. Um, and so in response, it was it was long. It was paragraphs and paragraphs of this guy losing his mind. Um, and so after that, I, I just said, well, could we get a neutral arbitrator for this? So that, you know, a mediator, so that it could be a fair debate. And he refused. He said that he would be the moderator of the debate. And that was the only way it was going to happen. Hmm. Um, and I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to go into that debate that way, because it wasn't going to be fair. He wasn't going to play fair. And I don't, he already had assumed all of my points before I even made them. He didn't even, he didn't give me a chance to make my arguments before he just thought he could destroy, I don't know, try to destroy me or intimidate me um, out of the debate and the comments. And, um, and then he went to Twitter after that to try to bash me for it. But I have heard from many people that when they read the thread, they were like, well, all you did was ask for a moderator. And he said, no. So it's not like you really backed out. It's just that he wouldn't agree to reasonable terms. And so now here we are. Um, but you had contacted me because you were interested about this topic. And I know a lot of um, my followers on Twitter want me to talk about this um, publicly too. Uh, so I was happy when you contacted me. I'm, I'm happy to explain my views on it, especially in a way where um, it can be discussed more reasonably and not with someone who's kind of being a lunatic, in my opinion. Yeah, which, which is weird because I've heard from other people that Kinsella, in person at least, is actually a pretty nice guy. But I don't know. So I saw the screenshots of the DMs that you mentioned, and he didn't seem very reasonable in those. And maybe it was a bad day for him. I don't know. But I was curious about um, what you had to say as well. Because you hear the libertarian side of things. People say IP is forced by the government. It's not real property. So it doesn't count. It's not going to be there in a libertarian society. But then on the other hand, you have... The actual right. artists, people who are creating things and saying, what about, what about my music? What about my book? Is it going to be worthless? So I think there's, there's legitimate concerns on each side. But let's, let's set the stage a little bit first. IP. Mm -hmm. What is that exactly? Right. So um, IP stands for intellectual property, right? Um, and in essence, what that covers in terms of what the property is, are um, trademarks, copyrights, patents, and more recently, they've kind of broadened it into trade secrets as well. Um, and a lot of people get confused between all these different kinds of intellectual property. So I'll, I'll kind of give a brief definition of all four of those. So a trademark is really what it, it's like, of all of them, it's um, the, the word trademark actually kind of defines what it is. It's a mark that shows your trade. And the origin of trademarks goes back to um, ranchers who would brand their cattle, right? And so that's how we get the idea of a brand. And so that way, the ranchers knew this is my cattle, right? I put my brand on it, and no one can claim that this is like their cattle and not mine. So in current uh, like use, a trademark such as Coca-Cola, right? Coca-Cola uses their special font, their red and white, 
and all of that to indicate that that product is coming from their company. And so that's their trademark. So that's what a trademark is. It really is an, an indicator of, um, of the source of a product or a service. And the reason why that has come into being often is because people would try to counterfeit products. And then the initial, um, the initial producer's uh, reputation in the marketplace could get harmed because someone else was kind of saying that they were making their product, but it might have been inferior. Right. So that's sort of how trademark came into being. So trademarks are really, if you think of brands, logos, that's really what your, a trademark is. Now, copyright, this is when you start to think about artists, musicians, writers, actors, dancers, stuff like that. Copyright is about um, a work of expression, a tangible work of, ex um, of ex creative expression, um, to be specific. So um, what that means is that you can't copyright you can't copyright something that doesn't have any creative spark in it. It has to have a creative spark from the individual. And it has to be a tangible expression of that in the real world. So it can't just be, oh, I have this great idea for a book. I have it all up in here, you know? And then if someone copies that idea, you can sue them. It, it, you have to have already written the book. It has to be tangible. It has to be in real life. It can't just be the idea. The idea is not protectable and it never has been. So with a copyright, let's like, I actually, I paint. So when if I paint an oil painting, what a copyright protects is someone making an exact duplicate of that and then selling it as if it was their work. Because what the copyright is attempting to do is to incentivize creative production. And because, because creative production in that way, like there's no way to limit the amount of copies that are being made, the owner of the the, the person who actually created the work, who made it, has certain rights in that to protect that incentive for them to continue to create. Because if you're a famous artist and someone else could just take your painting and start selling those prints off as their own, they're in effect taking away the profit that you could have earned from your work and from your creation and from your tangible expression. Okay, so that's what a copyright is. A patent applies specifically to, um, to inventions. And so a patent, in order to get something patented, it has to be new. It can't be, it can't just be the same thing as somebody else did. It has to be a new innovation. And it also has to serve some kind of functional purpose, right? And so when you apply for a patent, you have to detail this kind of stuff. You have to detail how it works. Um, you have to detail why it's new and all of that. So even if like, even if someone in another country came up with a very, came up with like the same invention as you, that is, it still would not be novel in the United States because someone else in the world has already done it. So patents have to be a totally new invention. It has to be novel and patents, um, at least in our current, sorry, I keep knocking out my earbud, patents, at least in our current, um, our current uh, legal structure have a much shorter um, protection period or duration than all the other kinds of intellectual property. So like a trademark doesn't even have a timeline on it other than as long as you keep using it, that's how long your trademark lasts. A copyright right now, and I should say, in terms of these um, durations, I actually have some beef with this. Like I would change our laws a little bit. Um, but for a copyright right now, a copyright lasts 
the for the life of the author plus 70 years so that's crazy to me that's way too long in my opinion uh, but a patent and i would have to double check but i think a patent only lasts like 20 it lasts 20 years it might only be 10 i have i don't practice patent law so i'll have to double check that but um the legislature specifically wrote the patent law to be shorter because they want to encourage innovation right they they want to make sure the innovators get rewarded for their inventions, but they want people to be able to build off those inventions as soon as possible. So <laughs> the time on the patent is shorter, right? Um, and then a trade secret is more so like a recipe or something like that. Like you've got the secret recipe for your barbecue sauce or whatever, and you're the only one who has it. You're the only one who knows it. And, um, and basically, if someone, if someone got that by illegal means and then publicized it, you could go sue them for that, right? So a trade secret is like something special that only you or your company has, and it gives you a lot of value because you're the only ones who know that secret. And so that's what a trade secret is. Um, and I don't practice trade secret law as much, and they only, um, they, they only passed a statute protecting that here in the United States somewhat recently, like in the last 10 years. So um, that's sort of a newer area of law but that's kind of the gen the general idea of what intellectual property is okay so it covers more than more than i thought i didn't know about uh, the trade secrets protecting my secret blend of 11 herbs and spices type of a thing huh that's yeah. interesting okay yeah so like i mentioned coca-cola before right so coca-cola not only do they have their trademarks but they have trade secrets as to their recipe okay yeah. Now, some of that, it seems to me, makes sense, even with basic libertarian theory, because, of course, a lot of the uh, the free market principles, it's based on a company's reputation and their brand. And, of course, you have to have some way of knowing which brand is yours or the customer, which brands that you like. And if anyone can just go ahead and mm -hmm. make a brand that looks like what you want and sell it as what you want but it's a poorer quality well then uh, to kind of at a loss and that's right. not good for the consumer or for the manufacturer so right and the person who's doing that usually is using is appropriating someone else's brand like that because they want to benefit from the goodwill and reputation that they have mm -hmm. right like if someone was trying to use Coca-Cola's brand on their soda, it would be because everybody knows Coca-Cola and they're trying to sell more product. So really in that situation, they're using someone else's time, work and effort to build up their company and their brand and their reputation in the marketplace to then benefit themselves instead mm -hmm. of doing any of that work on their own. Yeah. 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 Which is, uh, seems like cheating, um, fraud <laughs> yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now, like I say, that, that seems to make sense. I'm copyright is to me where things get a little bit murky, just from my perspective, because I'm, I'm a big reader and my wife is writing some books. So this is kind of a personal topic to me as well. Sure. And I've heard, I've heard arguments from, from both sides, even from within a libertarianism, libertarian theory on this. I've heard people argue things like, well, it's not, it's not an actual thing. It's just ideas. And the only real property is physical property like land or uh, 
gold pianos. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. uh, the I've also I, can, I think it was I think it was Rothbard, in fact, who was writing from another angle, and he said that the current laws are in fact unfair in another way because after a certain amount of time this thing that was the person's property that unlike other forms of property or they pass it on to their children is just suddenly not their property anymore and now anyone can reproduce it and what the heck is up with that that's not very fair either so i don't know right and that gets into um that gets into some of the policy issues right because i think like I said, I, I would greatly reform our copyright law if I could, um, because I think it's far too broad and lasts for way too long. Um, and I think that if we reformed our copyright law, a lot of the concerns that libertarians have would be um, like remedied, <laughs> I would say. Um, for example, so I talked about uh, the life of the author plus 70 years, right? What that means is that no one who's alive right now will be able to um, basically, because, okay, I should go back. Let me go back even further. Okay. There's something in copyright law, right? It, it's, it's in all um, property rights, but it's like you get a bundle of rights with your property, okay? So in copyright law, the main, the main right you get is that you can prevent other people from copying your work and selling it off as your own. And I think that that is a good, like, that's good. I think that that should be enforced. But I think where um, the United States goes too far is it protects derivative works. So what that means is, like, if, if, you, write, if, you, write a mo- if you write a book, someone can't make a movie off of that without paying you. And to me, a movie is not a copy of a book. A movie is a different, new, tangible expression of an idea. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that to protect derivative works is wrong. I don't think derivative work should be protected at all. I think that it's more so what, like as an artist, you know, if I put all the time into a painting and someone tries to say that they did that themselves, that exact painting and sell it that way, that's stealing from me, you know? But if someone is inspired by my painting and then they go and paint something kind of similar, that should be fine. I see. You know what I mean? I do, I do. So it's kind of, yeah, and a lot of other countries are more reasonable with their copyright laws and they don't protect derivative works, mm-hmm. which is something I found out when I worked at DC Comics because I was having to look up all the rights of translators in all these other c- countries because they wanted to make movies out of the translations of the comic books. <laughs> so, oh man, that sounds um, confusing. <laughs> I know, it's confusing. So it's like, there's so many different people who have rights in that and we have to make sure that DC Comics wasn't get, gonna get sued by any of them. Um, mm-hmm. So, but other countries don't necessarily protect derivative works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in that, in that instance, basically in the United States, we have a situation where any, any copyrightable work that's made, no one who's living now or for a couple generations will be able to even make a derivative work off of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is wrong. Like that, that stifles creativity and that stifles production of like, you know, creative works. Yeah, I, um, I would agree. And that, that leads right into my next personal concern that I had was that I'm a bit of a geek, a nerd, however you want to put it, but Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, all things that I've really enjoyed. 
And um, what's happened recently is that they've either been uh, purchased by large uh, corporations that are all very woke and they've turned them from telling these great stories into platforms for pushing political and social agendas and Mm -hmm. no one can do anything about it because they own this they own the rights right right whereas if uh, there was something a bit more like you were talking about where derivative works are not protected people who really enjoy star wars and star trek for itself and not for its ability to influence people might be able to take and make their own really good star wars or star trek or doctor who where right now they can't or they're gonna get sued and that's because of the derivative work issue Mm. um because if if there wasn't a derivative work problem the only thing that would really be infringing in that situation was if you started doing screenings of star wars and said that you made it you know like this is my movie and I, you know, and I'm going to start selling tickets to it um, versus saying, like, I made a new movie. It has some of the same characters. It's in the same universe. Yeah, um, not but using it, the it's Star a Wars movie brand. Do that. Mm. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so that's part that's part of the issue. And I also think that patents are probably too long because patents, as they currently exist, especially in terms of medicine, cause a lot of problems. Mm. So, um uh, so yeah, like I do think like the, some of this stuff in terms of the amount of time stuff is protected, I, I could understand like adjusting it. Um, but I do think ultimately there is a valid actual right that exists. Like there's actual property that exists in here that needs to be protected as part of our, um, I mean, it kind of goes into my whole theory of, I don't know, libertarianism and philosophy. But my idea is that all rights are property rights and it's just manifesting in different ways. So we talk about real property, personal property. That's the stuff you were talking about, like land, a boat, a car, whatever. But then we own our bodies, right? And we own our minds. Yeah, exactly. So so I, I like to say we have property of body and property of mind. And so the property of mind, when it becomes tangible, is intellectual property. That's that's how I would describe it. And so that's why I think it should be protected like anything else, because there's a sweat of your brow. There's a labor that goes into it. And if you create something that brings value to the world, you should be able to make sure that you're the one who benefits from that instead of somebody else. Hmm. Yeah. You know? That seems to make sense. And it fits in, I think, with, with what we were uh, discussing with the derivative works, because then right. it can benefit like you write something that's that's pretty good and then someone else comes along and says "Ooh, i really like this idea i think i could do it better and then they do then the person that's benefited is the consumer because they end up getting the best product and they can't just the person who they can't just copy the other person's work and say yes i wrote this pay me for it but they can you know make a story with Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and it's an amazing story better than anything Disney's putting out and people want to buy that instead then the original official Star Wars stories are still protected but people can choose this newer better product if they want to right and then that person who made the derivative work 
in that instance would have the copyright in it and they'd be able to protect their new work that they made. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if someone made a derivative off of that, then, you know, they wouldn't necessarily get to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think that the derivative work thing, I think, is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it drives a lot of libertarians to just get rid of intellectual property altogether. Mm-hmm. I think because so. Because oftentimes when I argue uh, with people on Twitter about this, it always devolves into um, into either uh, into either a discussion of what a copy actually is. You know, like, is this a copy or is this not a copy? And then that's where we get into the derivative work stuff. Mm-hmm. And for me, it should be a, a lay person wouldn't, wouldn't know the difference. Like a lay person couldn't tell that there was a difference between the two works. And that's how you would know it's a copy versus um, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's inspired by this first thing. And okay. So, so like, like some technicality, <laughs> like I, on Lord of the Rings, I changed a couple words about a thousand pages in and now it's different yeah that kind yeah. of thing wouldn't fly because it's yeah it's still right. essentially that the same because it's still essentially the same it's too it's yeah. too close right um but uh sorry you had reminded me of something else too it's also important to remember and i feel like a lot of people who bash copyright especially forget that there's an entire doctrine called fair use that allows all of these different uses of uses of copyrighted works that a copyright owner can't sue for. So like for educational purposes, for commentary, to make parodies, all like all of that stuff, you can use the copyrighted work to do that. So, um, and that gets a little bit messy, like the law of fair use, but that's, and it's also something that I think would be broader in terms of what fair use is. Um, but there's, there's, there's a lot of ways, at least if you're like, if you're trying to do a derivative work, but you really just want to kind of mock the original copyright owner, like you can do that. Um, there's plenty of people like Weird Al Yankovic, for example, it's like <laughs> all of those are just parodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, uh, it's a matter of being, of kind of looking at how it's actually being used, if it's actually a violation of someone else's property, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, unless it actually would result in the, the property, the IP owners, um, like losing something, you know what I mean? Like a loss of their reputation, a loss of profits from sales of an artwork that they would have otherwise had, um, a loss of profit from sales of their invention that they would have otherwise had. It's like, they have to actually lose something, mm-hmm. you know, they have to have something taken from them for it to be a valid claim to go after somebody. It can't just be like, I don't know, you, you, you took a picture of my painting and like, you have it in your house, you know, it's, that's fair use. You can't, <laughs> so there's, um, and I think that that's, there's, there's people, I know one, one guy in particular, when I bring up the painting example on Twitter, he was like, but if I take a photo of your painting and then try to recreate it at my house, like, what, like what's wrong with that? And I'm like, nothing. There's nothing wrong with that because no matter how well you try to recreate my painting, it's not going to be the exact same. But if you literally make a copy of it and sell it to people with your signature on it, like, for example, when I worked at DC Comics, there was this dude in Europe who he had been taking stills out of the comic books, like little um, squares out of the comic books, blowing them up, putting them on a canvas and then splattering them with a little bit of paint. And then selling them for thousands and thousands of dollars, Oof. you know? And it's like, first of all, <laughs> there is an artist in DC Comics who drew that, 
who actually drew that picture, you know? Um, but there's also a huge company, DC Comics, who owns the rights to that. And what you're, what that person was doing was very brazen, in my opinion, because that person's not even an artist. You know, that person's a thief is really mm. what that person is. So, um, con artist. And, and the other, a con artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Um, but I'm happy to go into some of the arguments that people have made against it. I mean, we kind of have been doing that. Um, but I think that people get caught up in things that it ends up where if you follow the logical argument of a lot of these, it would call for the abolition of all property rights, not just as they currently exist, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're right. The government is what currently enforces intellectual property rights, but the government is also what currently enforces real property rights and personal property. Like that's just the world we live in right now. And so if anarchists believe that real property can be enforced without a state, then I don't see why intellectual property cannot. I, no one has been able to answer that mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, so. I, think, I think especially when uh, considering anarchist courts, uh, they assume that they're going to think the same way they do about such and such things, such as intellectual property. But I don't think that's necessarily the case because there's a lot of people who have a real interest in things like this, who, even if some people disagree, believe that it really is their property when they write a book, for instance. And if you make an exact copy of that book, mm -hmm. then you're stealing from them. And I think an anarchist mm -hmm. society wouldn't be able to just dismiss so many people who have that view they would have to at least take it seriously and figure out some way of coexisting, which is not just, mm -hmm. sorry, you're wrong. You don't get any money for this book you wrote. Yeah. Or you have no, you don't have any ownership of the book you wrote whatsoever. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause that's, and that's why. Um, yeah. And that's kind of why I often accuse people who want to completely abolish intellectual property rights of being commies. <laughs> Because the truth is, they think that the whole world owns whatever you create. That that if I create a painting, if your wife wrote a book, the whole world owns that. It's not hers. It belongs to the world. It belongs to the human race, like as a whole. And but the truth is, is that it, it that's not how property works. Like there there are things that we create that are ours. You know, and there is a theft that happens if someone is profiting off of my work, you mm -hmm. know, without them working at all. Um, mm -hmm. And so and that's the thing when people talk about like a new invention um, or a, a derivative work, it's like, well, you actually had to put in work to do that, like to derive something you had to do work in addition to what I did. But if all you did was make a copy, then you didn't have to do anything, mm -hmm. at least of your own, like intellectual volition or anything like that you know? yeah and i think i think that's where a big hang-up was for me and i think a lot of libertarian types is that that difference between the actual work and then derivative uses of it because i've heard people say things like well you know, once it's out there it exists in people's minds and you can't own what's in other people's minds but an exact copy of the book or the painting isn't in your mind the idea of it is there and 
under the uh, derivative use thing that you were talking about, well, they don't own the idea of Luke Skywalker or the doctor. And I could write a fan fiction about it. And if it's super good and people want to buy it, then they can, but I can't start selling copies of old doctor who shows and say, yes, I made this now pay me for it. That seems to make sense to me. And I think, I do think that the, yeah, I think the derivative work issue is why people can't understand that intellectual property doesn't protect ideas. Because once you get into the derivative works, it kind of does start to protect ideas. You know what I mean? Because it it starts to protect expressions of the work that haven't come into being yet, you know? And so to me, that shouldn't be protectable. And I've, I've, I mean, I thought that ever since I learned about copyright law in law school, you know, it's like this derivative work thing is kind of weird. I don't, I think that that goes a little bit far, but it's true because when, when I talk to people about this, I try to explain copyright doesn't protect a painting of an apple. It protects my tangible expression of a painting of an apple, not, not like just anyone's painting an apple my specific one with the specific strokes, the specific paint, all of that that makes it look the way it does. So, um, but if someone just, if someone wants to paint an apple on the same background or a similar background, it's like, that's, I can't, I can't come after them for that, you know? Um, And I think that with a painting, it's easier to understand the derivative work issue because people don't go after derivative paintings. Like that just doesn't exist, really. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But with movies and stuff and with books, it gets a little bit harder because they say, oh, well, it's the same characters, it's the same plot line, it's the same, you know, it's the same universe. Um, but I just think that that does get into the realm of protecting ideas. And so that's why it goes too far, because intellectual property is not supposed to protect ideas. And I don't think it should. Like, I don't think ideas should be restricted. Right. Yeah, I agree. You know? I agree. But it so, is hard. It's so hard to articulate this, like, in Twitter conversations. Uh, yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's not enough space. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So let me ask you, let's change change gears a little bit and let's talk about the patents, uh, specifically about sure. medicines. So you mentioned that mm. earlier. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of libertarians, free market types who say that a big part of the problem with modern medicine is that there are copyrights, sorry, patents on a lot of the medicines and that's why yeah that's the one and that's why they're so expensive is because the government is guaranteeing this right to this company and you can only buy this life-saving drug insulin or whatever at whatever prices they name and no one else can make it because of the government and they say that that that's wrong and Mm -hmm. on the one hand you know, I can see that. Who who wants to um, pay everything they have for a medicine that will keep them alive? Hmm. But what what would you say to that type of argument? Yeah, so this is one I've, I've heard this one a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, the truth is, personally, I blame a lot of the issues in terms of the price gouging and all of that on our regulatory system in terms of medication, because just to get a medication to market, you have to spend like decades and like millions of dollars just to get, just to get FDA approval. And even then you might not get approved. They might just still deny you. Right. Mm -hmm. So the cost of bringing a new medication to market 
is extraordinarily high, you know? So for me, I understand like, cause I personally, I do think there's a lot of price gouging going on. And I should preface this by saying, I don't understand how insulin can still be, still be so expensive because insulin's been around forever. That should be out of patent by now. I don't understand, like, I don't understand that situation. Um, but that's partially why I said, I think they could reduce the patent time a little bit too, because I do think like, it makes sense to, to give the patent owners at least a couple good years to really financially benefit from the financial and time investment they put in to try to develop a new medication. But I also think that especially when it comes to medications and inventions, that's something that we really want to encourage the most of that possible, right? Especially in medicine. Um, So I think that I think that's something where we should at minimum like reduce the length of time as it pertains to patents. But I also think that the whole idea of patenting medication is kind of interesting in and of itself because we get into some weird things where you can, as long as there's an artificial component, you can even patent like living material, like you can patent um, seeds and stuff like that. And it's not like anyone invented a seed, you know, they, they could have cultivated it and, you know, several generations of the same plant until they get like just the right seed. But um, for me, there's, there's just certain things that I'm not sure if they should be subject to patent, you know? And so that's one of those things like medication, because it's about the good of like the health of the country, that might get into a situation where it's a little bit more gray mm-hmm. in terms of how much the patent should protect. Um, I do think that in terms of just a run of a mill invention that, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really really matter to me if someone makes a shit ton of money off of a run-of-the-mill invention <laughs> you know like someone invents a better washing machine or something like that it's like okay that's fine um but i do like i understand the concern the people who have been basically getting bankrupted because they're trying to afford life-saving medications i think is a real problem but again i i blame more our regulatory industry and like the fda and for so long you couldn't even try medications even if you had like a terminal illness you know, they wouldn't even let you try an experimental medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I also think that the way that we have it incentivizes the patent holder to charge as much as they possibly can. Like the pharmaceutical industries are just, they are just so in it for money and not for healing people, you know? Mm-hmm. So, we, and, and that goes back partially to like the pharmaceutical industries being in bed with big government and having all of these live, like, liability waivers you know like the pharmaceutical industry is basically another branch of the government but they still get to have all of these patent protections like private citizens and so i don't know for me the whole medical industry and like regulatory body is a huge mess and so i think to just to blame the cost of medications only on patent law is to miss like a huge aspect of why our like medical industry is so fucked up you know or like why medications are so expensive because it's not just because of patent patents have been around since the founding of this country but medications have only become exorbitantly expensive like this and i don't know at least for me in the last like couple of decades i don't know maybe, mm-hmm. maybe i'm wrong about that maybe someone could correct me but i don't remember people talking about like in the 50s oh, like these prescription drugs are just so expensive. Like we can't, you know, like I, I just feel like it's something that's developed with the the rise of huge pharmaceutical 
regulatory um, like framework surrounding the approval of prescription drugs. So that's a long answer to that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but I think I think that's a good answer though. I think you're exactly right. Because I've done some research into what the uh, what the FDA requires in order for a drug to be legal and it's it's pretty ridiculous. So it seems like the libertarian free market community is on the right track where the problem is with the government but not specifically, you say, with the patents, need to pull back a little bit and look at everything that goes on before that, all of the regulatory right. nonsense, and target that. And that's going to have better and, outcomes for society than getting rid of the IP. Right. Or, and like I said, I'm, I'm very much in favor of reforming our intellectual property laws. Um, and yeah. so there's a lot of changes that could happen to the patent law, but I think to abolish it outright would do much more harm than good because inventors inventors have to have a way to make money off of their inventions there's so much risk in inventing something new so i think we have to give we have to give inventors an ability to profit off of their inventions because and that's the thing that's the thing with patents derivative works are okay you don't have like for example i have a starbucks cup over here let me just grab it so this sleeve here for my little Starbucks cup. This is protected by a patent, okay? This little cardboard sleeve. Now, this one has, like you can see, it has little ridges in mm-hmm. it, but some of them look more like a quilt. I don't know if you've seen some of the other ones where it's like a quilting, but that's a completely it. different patent. Like just the having having a different pattern on the inside of the carton, it's a completely different patent. So <laughs> there's several patents for these little, you know, cardboard you know, cup holder things. Mm-hmm. And they're all very similar, but they all have a patent because they're not exactly the same. So the derivative work thing does not exist in patents. That's only in copyright. Huh. That's interesting. So, Do you think that's something that should exist in patents? I mean, it's a, it's a circle of cardboard. So. I just want to point out that I actually think it's a good, I actually think it's a good thing that we don't have um, derivative works and patents. Like it's actually one of the better aspects of it because all you have to do is make an invention better than it was and you mm-hmm. can get it patented. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You don't have to, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to improve the wheel and you can get a patent on it. So, um, and I think that that's good because that's what inspires people to keep developing better and better versions of stuff. It's like, you can make a derivative version of a patent or of a patented work. Hmm. Okay, I can see that. But on the other hand, I mean, it's a circle of cardboard. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I mean, at the same time, who knows how much time went into developing like this one with the little ridges like this each of those is a little tiny tube that helps you know like block some of the heat from going in so they had to design each of those little tubes and stuff so even the smallest inventions like a pencil requires so much effort to go into it to produce it the first time to like bring it into being that first time Mm -hmm. just requires a lot true true and fair enough but so so hmm Speaking of pencils, though, and why aren't pencils patented? Well, they would be long out of patent, right? Like, when was the first pencil invented? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know if anyone knows that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the truth is, I bet, I bet, like, new mechanical pencils, like, if they came out with some new function for a mechanical pen, pencil, they probably, they probably do patent that, you know? 
Like, I bet the the reason why a Bic mechanical pencil is different from like a Pentel mechanical pencil is probably patents. Those might just be design patents versus a utility patent, but you know. Well, now all you're all of these little things have patents before <laughs> around them. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really um it gets nuts. And to think about how hard it is to make sure that your invention is new, that no one else in the world has done what you've done, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty crazy especially for something like that little cardboard uh sleeve mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> had to be new had to be unique true true so, everything everything that exists was a new thing at one time okay. everything that people have made but so that brings up another another thing that i have heard um, anti-ip property types say is that it's inherently unfair just because someone happened to think of something first, then they now have the right to that invention where someone else uh, in another place, another location developed it, put in just as much work as they did, but the other person got to the patent office first. How would you respond to that one? I mean, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how unfair that is. Um, there's a lot of stuff where it's like the first person to do it is the one who gets the spoils, you know, that's not just true of patent. The first to market, you know, is kind of, it's a big deal. Like, even if you were just the first to, even if you're just the first to market um, with something that's not protected by any, any mm-hmm, intellectual mm-hmm. property, you know, um, yeah, that's uh, sort of like with, with Apple and like this, um, I, mean, I mean, Apple has all kinds of patents on their <laughs> cell phones, right? I'm not talking about that, but right. in terms of the, like Apple was the first one to come out and really make like a smartphone. Yeah. When people you know? think of smartphones, they um, think of an iPhone usually. Yeah. They think of an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and, and they still, I mean, obviously Android's in the marketplace, but Apple still dominates like the smartphone market. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, it's just because they were first and they have the biggest brand share Um, because I actually don't, I mean, I'm on Android now. I actually don't think iPhones are better than Androids, but they were first and people think that they're better. You know, Mm -hmm. people, people think Apple is like the gold standard because they kind of were the ones who started with the iPhone. It's like, I want to have an iPhone, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, It's the same thing with with MP3 players. They think of iPods. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I guess I would say, you know, in terms of, I'm not as well versed in patent law, but someone like someone has to have it the right kind of. Unless you're, I mean, I guess if you want to say that no inventor should have a patent, then that's kind of a different situation. But if only multiple people can't have the same rights in the same thing, at least in terms of patent, you know what I mean? It's like someone can't go and invent something and then just acquire all the rights that I had when I invented it first. And the truth is, if I invented it first, it's actually not novel. Even if they didn't know about it, I, I did it first. Like, I did do it first. You know, it's like I won the race, kind of. <laughs> so it's like maybe getting silver in a race isn't fair, but it was a race. And so, and so if you're competing in the marketplace, being first to the marketplace matters. And it True. matters in every industry, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I see that perspective. I definitely especially uh, the example with the Apple iPhone and most people think of a smartphone. And I think, I think they would understand that for sure. Cause you're right. First to market that shapes people's opinions of what that product is and what's good about it. 
And I think the issue there they would bring up would be in this case, it's the government forcing the other person to then not make the same product that they had thought of independently. But right. And I mean, that's um, a lot of people get to that place where they say, ultimately, intellectual property is regulating your use of your own property. Right. Um, But the truth is, that's kind of what all law is. So if I laws against murder, restrict my use of my firearms, right? Like I can't, I can't use my firearms to do whatever I want. Like there's things that I can do with my property that are crimes, you know, or that are illegal or that cause, like I can't, I can't use my property to hold up a liquor store and then just say, well, I was just using my property, sir. I was just using my, the gun I purchased, you know, it's like, it's because, it's because you're committing a a theft with it, Mm -hmm. you know? So um, just just because it's your property doesn't mean you can't use it in a way that would violate someone else's property rights or that would violate the NAP or that would, you know, be illegal <laughs> so just in general or would be um, something that's not libertarian because there's tons of things we can do with our property that would violate the NAP, you know? And that's why I, and, and that's why I talk about the same thing with the government enforcement. It's like the whole anarchist argument is that you don't need the government to enforce things you can enforce things in the market. And so, but that doesn't mean that the right goes away or that the right doesn't exist anymore. It's just that the enforcement mechanism of it would be adjusted. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I'm I've... not an anarchist though. <laughs> no, that's okay. I've, I've been curious because I think there would, in an anarchist society, I think there would be those mechanisms that would protect, uh, for example, someone who invented something first and uh, a medicine, an invention, what have you. I'm not, I'm not sure what they would look like. I'm not sure anyone is sure, because who knows what new inventions you could come up with to protect other people's inventions. I mean, um, I've heard it floated around that even um, blockchain technology, where you can make a certain number of something and limit access to it, that could be used for songs of mm-hmm. copies of books or movies and I, who knows what inventions people could make if they could uh, they could protect other people's inventions even it can get so ah, the possibilities are endless yeah no it's true it's true and i am a firm believer if if we could come up with an enforcement mechanism for enforcing all the other property rights in a non-governmental way then we could do that with intellectual property too i don't i don't see i don't see why we can't (laughs) so um and it's true i I don't know exactly what that enforcement mechanism would be but most of the anarchists talk about like you don't have to see it right now like it would you you know it kind of would manifest however it would need to Mm -hmm. um but i do think that it's worth it's worth establishing that the tangible expression and the inventions and the the you know the reputation that someone builds in the marketplace that those are actual things of value like these aren't things that are just ideas in the ether that don't mean anything you know mm-hmm. building a multinational brand takes a lot of, like that that's worth something that's not that's not meaningless you know yeah. um and i think that that's the issue it's it's kind of we've gotten into this place where everyone's so extreme with their opinions. It's like, 
either our intellectual property laws as they are now are good, or we just have to abolish intellectual property altogether. And it's like, most of the time, it's in the middle. Most of the time, it's more nuanced than that, you yeah. know? Um, and I do think abolishing intellectual property would have devastating impacts on the uh, the economy, at least in terms of innovation um, and creativity, new works of art, stuff like that. It would really, um, it would stifle a lot of that. Mm. I think, I think that's really possible. I think thinking about it now, I think it's, it's funny because most libertarians, anarchists, they, they freely acknowledge that the government doesn't do a particularly good job of protecting people's property rights currently, even things that they think are legitimate property. Mm-hmm. But, and if we can think of better ways to protect physical property without the government, why couldn't we think of better ways to protect intellectual property as well, instead of just saying, nope, not legitimate, you know? I think there are ways. Right. And, and that's why I, that's like, that's why I said, I think that argument is actually an argument against all property rights, not against intellectual property to say that, well, the government is enforcing it now. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, that's the government's enforcing all of our rights right now. Mm -hmm. So to say that any right that's enforced by government right now should just be abolished would be to abolish all of our property right like it's i don't know it's just kind of um i don't know yeah it's it's that line <laughs> it's between, a weird argument i've never understood yeah it's and i think they see that in some other things but not not intellectual property for some reason it's to realize the government does a lot of things that are bad and it has taken over some things and monopolized some things that are good and necessary for society so right. we can find better ways yeah. to do things that need to be done. But, hmm. And I think personally, I think part of the reason why the libertarian community has kind of gone so gung-ho on one opinion here is just because there's only one guy that wrote, that wrote a book about it. Like there's only one book that's like a libertarian take on IP and there's no, there's no other literature out there to combat it. And I mean, I could take the time to try to write a book, I guess, but oh, it's just going to be tough. <laughs> but I just think that people people pick up Kinsella's book and just think, this is what libertarians believe about this, period. This is mm-hmm. a libertarian take. And I just don't think that's true. No. And so that's part of the reason why I wanted to debate Kinsella is because people think that's like the libertarian take. And I just don't think that's right because libertarians should care about property rights a lot. And we can have arguments about how broad intellectual property should be, but I think to just um, to just blanket say that if you care about intellectual property, then you're not a libertarian, or so, I don't know, I don't know. I, I was I've been called a lot of things for mm-hmm. for uh, for believing intellectual property should exist at all. So, well, it seems to me that your view of it is very reasonable and recognizing uh, people's rights and things where they've put in a lot of effort and creativity and actually produced a real product, but also recognizing what was a big concern for me, uh, people having ideas based on that product and creating new products, improving through the process of innovation on the market. So like I say, I think mm-hmm. it's something that yeah. through voluntary interactions, people can do a better job of than what we have right now. It doesn't mean yeah. because the government is doing a bad job. It doesn't mean it 
nothing should be done at all. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Right. Well, right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, um, and yeah, I mean, I guess one last thing I'll just say is that mm-hmm. intellectual property, it, it is a little bit hard for people to wrap their head around, but I think instead of trying to advocate for abolishing it outright, we should try to advocate to reform it or to get it to a place where it actually protects what it should protect, but it allows for the freedom to do the things that it shouldn't be restricting. Mm. Um, and I do think, and I, I, like I said, I think a lot of the criticism of IP just comes from the fact that our IP laws need to be revised, you know, like we need to kind of change how, how intellectual property is enforced. Um, but I just don't think that, I just don't think that abolishing it outright is going to do anybody any good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think it would like uh, drug prices aren't just going to tank if if we just abolish patents like I don't think that everyone's just going to instantly have a ton of insulin for free or so you know it's not I just don't think it's a silver bullet to fix anything to abolish intellectual property like people mm-hmm. talk about it yeah. that was the last thing I wanted to say about that <laughs> I, I think that's reasonable I think it it goes back to government doing something versus something being done at all. And I've made similar points with, uh, with the police when people say abolish the police. Like I understand the government police don't do a good job often, but you really want absolutely no police. I don't think so. But, right. Cause you need an enforcement mechanism to deal yeah. with murderers and like rapists, <laughs> you know? Mm. So um because the non-aggression principle is only as good as how well it's it's enforced, you know. Yeah, yeah the same thing with with property <laughs> rights, you know, physical or intellectual. But and that's where voluntary interactions, the free market, usually, almost always find a better way of doing things than the government saying this is the way it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Can... all the time, yeah. <laughs> physically in every area of life. That's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Yep. But like I say, it doesn't mean those things, including intellectual property, just don't exist or don't matter. So, well, thank you so much, Nina, yeah. for talking with us about this today. It's been a lot of fun. I know I've learned some things. So I'm glad about that. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, after well, I had months. fun too. I love talking about intellectual property. <laughs> oh, great. great. Um, yeah, and uh, and again, I'm so sorry that it was so hard to book me. Um, but I, I'm happy to. If there's anything else you ever want to have me on for, I'm happy to come back. And um, yeah, it's it's great to be here with you too. Thank you so much for watching this video. If you like what we do here, please like, share, subscribe, comment, and go over to our website where you can offer donations, request help, help us help people who are in need voluntarily. And we'll see you next time.